Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Welcome back, everybody. 1233 in Edmonton. Uh, this text coming in on our Ashley Fine Floors text line, Bob. Do you think J.P. Stock has gone up yet? He scored another goal today. Yes, I I saw Dustin Nielsen's tweet that he'd scored another goal today. It'd be nice to get somebody with some speed and ability to score for the bottom six uh, from KS. Well, in a perfect case scenario, that somebody might be Yessa Pugliarby. I don't know if that's a plausibility. Um, we're going to have Scott Housen come on the show at 1 o'clock. I don't think Scott went to see Pugliarby play in Finland because I think the owners know what they have with him. Um, maybe a different approach down the road works. Who knows? I don't think there's anything imminent in the next week regarding Pugliarby. There's a player there. Probably, you know, a middle six forward. Uh, maybe not quite the high ceiling everybody thought when he was drafted back in the 2006 draft. We're joined right now by Brian Lawton from the NHL Network, the former GM of the Tampa Bay uh, Lightning. And sometimes, Brian, you know, you went two for two with your picks uh, in Tampa Bay because you drafted, you know, Stamkos and then Hedman. Yeah. So you did okay there. Those guys did all right, right? Uh, those guys, I think they're going to make it in the league. Yeah, they're doing okay. Did you ever have a guy that you thought was going to be a player for sure? Or maybe a guy that you played with over the years or a guy you represented uh, during your time with Octagon or maybe even in your time in Tampa Bay in, in hockey management where you thought a guy was going to hit? Because, you know, I, you're talking to the people in Calgary, and Brian Burke's on the show, as you know, every Thursday, and he's like, hey, we had Paul Yarvey right where you guys, you know, took him. Well, the fact of the matter is the Calgary Flames tried to trade up in that draft year to get, yes, a Paul Yarvey. And they offered a pretty good player as part of the deal. Uh, the owners were going to have to send back another pick, but that pretty good player is still at the Calgary Flames right now. He's a centerman. No, it's not Sean Monaghan. But you can figure out who it is. Uh, so sometimes you just it just doesn't work out. But is there ever a guy you can think of that you know you're sure? Hey, and, and I know you've worked the draft the last couple of years too. Uh, but anybody you thought, hey, this guy is going to be a player, and it just didn't come to fruition. 
Uh, representing players, I had a guy, Eric Rasmussen, went on to play in the finals with the Buffalo Sabres, was selected seventh overall by them. I thought <clears throat> I thought he might have a little more depth to his game. You know, offensively, he was dynamite in college. Um, just never really translated to the NHL level. He was big, he could skate, he could hit. Wasn't much for fighting, but uh, he had all the elements to really be a dynamic player. It never happened. That same draft, I had another guy, Mark Parrish, that, you know, I thought, wow, the separation between those two guys isn't that far. And all Mark did was kind of walk into the league. And I think he came up with two four-goal games in his first three years in the league and went on to have a really, really nice career for a 79th overall pick. One of the great things about having you do the show is you get a global view of the league in your role at the NHL Network. And so there are teams that run hot and run cold offensively. And I know you know other sports. Is hockey the sport that has the greatest degree of luck involved in terms of productivity? I think so. Uh, You know, we use the term regression to the mean a lot because there is a lot of luck. I think your observation is dead on. I'm watching the Rangers last night. I was just in their building to see them play Vancouver not that long ago where they got completely annihilated, and they looked tremendous against Tampa Bay last night. Um, You know, the Minnesota Wild-Dallas Stars game last night was up and down. I turned the Edmonton game on, and I think, oh, my God, does anybody have a tougher matchup in the National Hockey League than Connor McDavid? the attention to detail defensively every time he's on the ice is incredible Bob. And, uh, you know that's the, but the league overall it is you know, there's just so many teams that are up and down um, the holy grail is to find that consistency well even you, you look at Tampa Bay last year right like that team could score Columbus had scoring depth as well and in that opening round series everybody focused on Tampa Bay Brian and Columbus's whack-a-mole offense got you, and they won in a hurry, and Tampa Bay went dry. And that's an elite team. That's a 60-win team. This is not to excuse what's happened in Edmonton over the last five games, but you mentioned the attention McDavid's gotten, and teams are shutting him down, especially early in games, and they're getting to McDavid early. Like They're not doing it in the D zone. They're, they're, they're starting it out you know, in neutral ice and interfering with them and eliminating the angles that he can attack with with speed. Now, he did draw a penalty yesterday, but the refs tend to put the whistles away as the season goes on. And so it's incumbent upon others to step up and score, and right now it's not happening for Edmonton, and it's part of the reason why they're, they're not winning games. Yeah, I mean, it's basically like trying to have a great passing offense, uh, passing game, without a running attack at all. And the Oilers need to find ways for other guys to chip in, to take a little bit of that pressure off, so that the game plan can't be, hey, we got one line to worry about tonight. We will never give up an odd man rush to them, and we'll be fine. We'll take our chances in the rest of the game. That's what it looked like to me. The Oilers actually didn't play bad last night. They gave up the two early, but they settled in. Um, They're just not having any luck whatsoever, and I don't believe that the cast of guys they have can go forever and not score. I do think some of these guys are capable of more. We've seen it in the past from some of them. Not huge, don't get me wrong, 
But I'm only making that point, Bob, because I think that Ken Holland, I, I think one of the things that he's going to do or is trying to accomplish is what he has openly said, and that is provide stability. In the past, sometimes I felt like when I was watching Edmonton, they were always chasing it. And let's get another player up here. Let's get a different guy. Let's let's jump. Let's grab somebody on the waiver wire. Um, I think Ken Holland has taken that. I think he's noticed that from the past, taking it to heart. And it's just going to be a real steady hand on the rudder. And they're going to have to figure it out with the group they have. Well, the other thing is the orders are at 48 contracts, not including Paul Yarby. So even if they get a return on Jesse, uh, then that takes them likely to 49 contracts. And they don't have any cap space, which kind of limits your options as well. In fairness, Brian, I, I get what you're saying about, you know, it, it, you take a look at what he did. This like the orders, what killed me last night is they had seven forwards that were UFAs. And yes, they've been snake bit, but I'd also like to see a little bit more juice out of some of those guys. Your general manager is returning to a market that you're playing in. Your team's coming off a very subpar performance against Florida. Like I, I didn't like the first two periods against Detroit. They were obviously good in the third and outshot them 17-5 and ended up probably the same amount of scoring chances for us against. But yes, you're, you're, you're hurting a bit offensively, Brian, but you gotta, if you're one of those guys that's playing for a, hung, a contract, you gotta be hungry don't you? Well, if you can't do it the UFA year, you're really in trouble. So that is a valid point. I'm talking as much about chasing guys that are on the waiver wire or, you know, Perlini just got traded. He wasn't making a lot. You know, is he an upgrade? Would you have, do you want to give up more than maybe Detroit give up for a guy like that? I'm sure yeah. you're looking at it, but I think stability is more important right now. And, and I can't disagree with that, to be honest with you. You're trying to reset a culture which isn't done based on so much so much what you say rather than what you confirm or confront as good behavior or bad behavior. So, you know, I'm watching this very, very closely. Uh, I like what Ken is doing. I could understand how it could be frustrating at times, but I do think it's the right uh, right direction for the club to go in. Brian, I don't know how you could say there's been a lack of stability. This is my 12th year of doing color, and uh, Dave Tippett's the ninth head coach I've worked with in those 12 years. <laughs> and I uh, will just write that down as sarcasm, Bob. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll chalk that one up. Uh, yeah. Hey, uh, Dylan Larkin last night. I don't like to say that stuff, though, Bob, just to be clear. I, I don't like to pick on what happened in the past. It's just you can't ignore I, I, past history. Either. Right, and that's and that's your point. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because we had an animated discussion yesterday on a guy like, like I'm, and I'm not saying the time is now, but Kato Yamamoto, was injured in training camp, made the team out of training camp the last two years, and for five of the first eight games down on the farm this year was the best player. And I'm looking at, you know, Granlund, 0-0-0 zero, zero, zero through 11 games. Sheehan, albeit he's a center, 0-0-0 zero, zero, zero through 11 games. Russell, 0-0-0 zero, zero, zero right wing through 10 games. Chase on two assists in nine games. Uh, Kara, 0-0-0 zero, zero, zero in 13 games. You know, I wonder if there comes a point if the the general manager, he's got a plan with these young players to percolate them or over-ripen them. But as a manager, does that does that change a bit if you continuously get a lack of productivity, Brian? 
Uh, I do think that there's a timeline on everything, and even though you can talk about wanting to be patient, uh, at some point you got to produce the lines that you're reading for players. And they're not going to have jobs if that continues for 20 more games. That's just the reality of the NHL, though. I wouldn't be telling those guys anything they don't know. Um, so you can take that with a grain of salt about, you know, staying the course. Everybody, the one thing about hockey that's so beautiful and so different than the rest of life where you don't often get a lot of feedback on how folks that are listening at home are doing in their jobs. <laughs> in hockey, you get it every day. It's so in your face, it can make you feel the other way where you want to throw up all of the time. Um, th- th- there'll be a reckoning if it doesn't turn around. But to have patience is the toughest thing to do, and that's why I commend uh, Ken for just, you know, if I know Ken, he'd be talking to the players and the coaches as well. Just to, you got to keep everybody on your side, bought in, and what you're trying to accomplish. So I'd be surprised if there wasn't a lot of communication going on between him and the rest of the organization as to what they're doing. Brian, I, I got to ask you this: We're joined by Brian Lawton from the NHL Network. When you moved out of uh, being an agent and you were a top-flight guy to becoming the general manager of Tampa Bay, did you have to change how you saw things? And do you think that? GMs that come from the agency business look at things differently than the guys that maybe came and never worked in the agency business but, and went from being, you know, maybe a player to a coach to a manager. There's that path. Or the guys that went from being a player, uh, you know, got themselves educated and, and went, you know, went to law school or something like that. A guy like Housen, uh, and then worked their way up. Do you think, you, you know, if you have some of that agency experience, you look at things differently? I think you do. Uh, Everybody's background, you know, everybody's a byproduct of their background to some degree, Bob. You see that in your friends, you see it in your friends' friends, your children, you name it. So, yes, for me, having been a player, um, having been an agent, and then, you know, basically running a team, I I certainly wasn't the first person to do that. There was many people... um, you know, Pierre Lacroix, Mike Barnett, I don't know if I'd say many, but there were others that had done similar things. Um, and yet all three of us, myself and those two gentlemen, have a definitively different background. We were all agents. We all went on to run clubs, but we all had a different view. Mike Gillis would fall into that as well as another guy just off the cuff that I could think of. So um, for me, did I have to think different? I'm very curious. One of my strengths, I felt, if I had done it longer, is that I'm not necessarily trained traditionally by a team. Teams tend to operate on very long-term views, um, more career executive-type view almost. That's not really why I got into being an, uh, a general manager. I just wanted to win. And uh, it was tough going to Tampa and realizing that, yes, we could win one day, but we'd have to take steps back review the marketplace and then make decisions based on that. I didn't have necessarily that traditional background to fall back on, and yet I think that was helpful because it forced me to look at the entire league at that time, say who were the best teams, how were they beat, how were they built, Pittsburgh, Chicago, uh, Washington, and then I just tried to copy them. And that was it. It wasn't really uh, earth-shattering, but you know that led to the drafting um, certainly of Hedman, and we already had Stamkos. So, 
you know, you can say what you want. Everybody's a byproduct of their background. Me, no differently. But uh, I didn't consciously make an effort to try to think different. Um, as I've gotten older, I definitely make a more conscious effort to be more empathetic uh, with people and situations. We all have things to work on. That's something that's been important to me. Yeah, and I, I cannot concur more. <laughs> Just look at the mirror every day. And the, the older you get, the more you realize, the less you know, and you never know what somebody's going through either. That's the other thing. You have no idea. Hey, I got to ask you this. You said, you talk about patience. How would you handle the Yesopoli-Arvey situation? The orders are sitting here. They could use some help. They got a player that's not counting as a, one of their 50 contracts. Yes, the Pugliarvi. He's elected to play over in uh, Europe. Doesn't look like he's going to play for your club, at least at this time. Um, would you move him and get an asset right now? Or would you be prepared to be patient in that regard? Uh, my first thought would be to be patient. Let him go over there. See if he can refine himself. Everybody knows that there's something there. It hasn't worked out in Edmonton. Having been through some of that stuff, you know, myself personally, I can tell you that uh, patience would be better served. Uh, yes, he came in. He wasn't, it was too much for him to handle the roles that people envisioned him in. There's no shame in that with his age. But in today's world, particularly when there's Connor McDavid's and Leon Dreisaitl's and Austin Matthews and Jack Eichel's and Pierre-Luc Dubois, we can go on and on and on, other guys doing it. It's easy to get skewered. Every player develops at his own pace. I would not be in a hurry to trade him. I would not be in a hurry to even get an asset back right now that will help in the short term but won't be long term if I was Edmonton. I would do what they've done. I think, I believe, that Ken Holland will be very, very patient there. He's obviously, what's he got, 10 goals over there, a point-a-game player. I think he got his 11th today. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're up to the minute. I'm up to the day, if our numbers are correct, which I think mine are, and I'm sure yours are. So, uh, But I still would be patient. I'd watch him very closely. I'd want to have more of a relationship. If I had staff over there and they weren't in to see him, he's still part of the Edmonton Oilers, regardless of how he feels. And uh, there's nothing to say that that couldn't be uh, repaired in the future and him come back and be a meaningful player for Edmonton. Okay, now yeah. we're on to now we're on to something here. So that's you think, think. Uh, that's because I mean he's represented by Marcus Leto. There seems to have been a what um, disassociativeness here here in the relationship. Something happened in the relationship. But you think like I'm wondering like. What happens if Ken Holland goes over there during the season and goes, I mean, maybe that's a possible, I don't know. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Uh, but, I mean, as a former agent, would you think, well, wait a sec here, it still could be theoretically salvaged. Do you think that's a plausibility? Absolutely. I absolutely do. I'd be surprised if Ken doesn't go over there himself, to be honest. Ken works. It's one thing about Ken Holland that people should know in Edmonton. This guy... He's been doing it a long time. It'd be easy to say he's just coasting, this, that, or the other thing. Not the case. I was an agent. I traveled the world to a very, very high degree. I had to to get clients. It was comfortable for me. I saw Ken Holland everywhere I went. Trust me, I went a lot of places. This guy works is what I'm saying. So I'd be surprised if he's not over there to try to, uh, not necessarily uh, to just be himself. 
he's just that guy that I, I, I just don't believe if he's over there anywhere close to Jesse, to Jesse Pugliarvi, he's not stopping in to have a conversation with him. There shouldn't be any animosity between Jesse and Ken. They haven't worked together. So it should yeah. be a clean slate. Both parties should recognize that. I understand Jesse's position. I understand Marcus Leto's position. That doesn't mean he'll get traded. He doesn't there have to go. play for Edmonton, but it doesn't mean he'll be traded. There you go. Brian, great stuff. Interesting perspective on things. My pleasure, Bob. Always love talking about the Oilers. Let's well, uh, hopefully they'll give you something. Turnaround. Hope, yeah, hopefully they give you something better to talk about tonight. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. You bet. It's 12.52 in Edmonton. We're going to take a uh, timeout, but not before I tell you that guests on this show receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Follow the sizzle to Alberta's own Roos Chris Steakhouse. I know they've got a uh, cure cancer dinner that's going to take place next Tuesday. Is that right? November the 5th uh, at Roos Chris Steakhouse. Tickets are $125 with 40% going back to the charity. 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Brendan, Maggie, and the staff at uh, Roos Chris that Oilers Now sent you. It's 1253 at Edmonton. This is Oilers Now. Subscribe to the Oilers Now podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Chad. 1256 in Edmonton, you can join New West Travel on the Oilers Now Winter Getaway to sunny Florida. The package includes great lower bowl game tickets against the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Florida Panthers. Five nights accommodation in FLA. We'll have a welcome reception with yours truly for the Oilers Now Winter Getaway. Call New West Travel at 780-432-7446 or go online at newwesttravel.com. All right, Mr. Escott, we've still got coming up on today's show, Scott Hausen to talk about some of the Oilers' prospects over in Europe and uh, the prospects that aren't in Bakersfield. We'll hear from John Shannon today. Conversation a bit on uh, Jim Gregory, uh, to name uh, one of the topics that we'll hit on. And uh, the Roman Yossi contract, terrific defenseman, by the way. And then uh, get a Colorado or a Columbus perspective from Jody Shelley Dave. But I'm going to put you on the spot, Brendan. Where do you think the Oilers could get the greatest return for Yessa Pugliarvi? Because it's a trick question. By putting him in their own lineup? <laughs> you got it. Logic dictates that the likely best case scenario, and maybe that ship has sailed, but when a guy like Brian Lawton, that frankly, with all due respect to Marcus Leto, carried a way bigger book and had some significant clients built octagon up, when a guy like Brian Lawton says, you know, these things can get salvaged. In my opinion, based on the Julian Goches and the Volkovs of the world, Goche of Carolina, Volkov of Tampa Bay, to me, the greatest potential place for a return on Paul Yarby is to maybe salvage the relationship. I don't know if it can be done. There's something there with the player. He isn't, you know, I know he's got 11 goals, 17 points in 17 games in Finland. I know what the comparables are from the Finnish league to the NHL. So it's not killing it. He, I mean, he's not leading his team in scoring. There's another guy leading. He's doing okay there. But there's no question he can play in a league as a middle six forward. To me, the best place that the Oilers could get the return on Paul Yarby is if 
everybody could work things out. That would be the best case scenario. All right, off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. And we'll hook up with uh, Scott Howes and the former GM of the Columbus Blue Jackets in an Oilers development role when we come back. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.